Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 to 30. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ to not only believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's grab a seat, everyone. Thank you, team. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're uh, working our way through the book of Philippians. Uh, we're doing a series on Philippians, and uh, we are up to verse 27. If you've got your Bibles, who's got their Bibles? Hey, we're slowly getting there. We've got to get these statistics up, friends. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn there, because we're going to be working our way through uh, these verses. If you've missed, uh, if you're a little bit behind, or if you are visiting with us this morning, we've got our podcast, so you can uh, you can get up to speed by uh, listening to our podcast, which is on all the usual platforms. So uh, when you engage with the scriptures, for us, uh, the whole um, chapter divisions um, weren't there in the original letters, so that's something that was added a little bit later on, which is super helpful. Like I'm all about that; helps us find where we need to go. But we're at actually a point in this particular letter where Paul is beginning to change focus. Paul so far has been discussing his own life, how he's in prison, how the gospel is advancing through him despite his imprisonment, and uh, and this idea that Christ will be honoured uh, in his life by blessing others, by planting churches, by encouraging others, uh, by being part of this great Jesus story. All Paul's life will be honoured, uh, uh, God will be honoured through Christ uh, in his death in some way. So Paul has, has talked about this, he's uh, talked about the way that he's just um, rejoiced in his friendship with the Philippians, how he holds them in his heart, he yearns for them with the affection of Christ, and how their partnership in the gospel is a source of joy for him. And now it kind of changes gear from Paul talking about himself uh, and all that God has been kind of doing in and through him to kind of beginning to talk to the church in Philippi specifically. So this is where, again, there's a bit of a change in tone here, which isn't reflected by our, our chapters changing in our Bibles, where he now just talks about uh, the church, like conduct yourselves, church, in a way that uh, gives glory and honour to God. So what he's going to do is he's going to exhort the church, which is a good old-fashioned word. He's going to encourage the church into living a life that reflects Jesus to the world. To encourage someone, to exhort someone is to urge someone to do what is right. And so Paul's going to like urge them to do the right thing. And the role of the church leader, like one of my jobs, is to exhort you, to encourage you, to get my pom-poms out and say, do the right thing, follow Jesus, it's worth it. I know it can be tough and tricky, but you can do it. Uh, and, but, but the Bible's clear, it's filled with these moments where, where Paul addresses church leaders. For example, one of them's in Titus uh, chapter 2, verses 11 to 15, a fascinating passage. Listen to this. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify uh, for himself a people that are his, his own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things that you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. So encourage or exhort 
with all authority. This is the role of the leader uh, in the church. Uh, But I love that passage because it's like grace. God's grace has appeared, right? God's grace has appeared uh, offering salvation to us. But then it says this, it, grace teaches us how to live a holy life. Uh, So I find this so beautiful. Like, oh my gosh, I was so moved, as you could see, by Vicky's communion corridor. So stunning. Like, oh, I needed to hear that this morning. Like, there's always a space for you at the table. I love it. What a be- and, and I loved her honesty and vulnerability. Very moving. So I can come to boldly to the throne of grace. Hallelujah. I love that we take communion every week. You know, uh, this, is a, this is a little humble brag. But one time I got interviewed uh, on national radio. Um, and, uh, and that was because one of Jen's friends was working uh, as the religious reporter. She was Buddhist, I think. Anyway, she would, do you know what we're talking about? Yeah, cool. Uh, anyway, so I get interviewed by her um, about, initially about the Christchurch earthquakes, but it was a long interview. It was like they, they'd given like 45 minutes or whatever. So this kind of eventually morphs into a discussion about faith and all the rest of it and, and Christianity. And at the end of this interview, she asked me, she's like, can anyone actually live up to the expectations of the Christian faith? Which is a great question. And, like, you know, the Bible says, like, in, in moments like that, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. For once, I didn't have the regret. You know, when you remember, like, oh, finally I said it like that. Like, the Holy Spirit was so with me because I was like, I was like you know what the expectations of the, of the Christian faith are? That we're, we're in need of God's grace and mercy. That's the expectations, is that we would come to God for grace and mercy. That's his expectation. And I can live up to that because I'm a real muppet. And as, as I'm saying all this, I'm like, that's brilliant. <laughs> oh, right, this is amazing, you know. Um, and, I, and it's true, though, right? At the heart, haven't we done a terrible job as the church of telling the world about this? At the heart of the Christian faith, it's grace and mercy. Yeah. Hallelujah. I need that this morning. You need that this morning. We can boldly approach the throne of grace. But then it's not like, oh, sweet, so now I can do whatever I want. Smoke, whoever, smoke whatever I want, shake whoever I want, you know, watch whatever I want, drink whatever I want, eat whatever I want, you know, spend whatever I want. No, the grace of God does what? Teach us how to live a holy life. Because all that stuff doesn't, doesn't cause you to flourish. It destroys your soul. <laughs> Causes anxiety, depression, all the stuff that we see in society. Like It's funny that our society is plagued with epidemics of brokenness and you isn't prepared to go upstream to perhaps consider that lifestyle may lead us down some roads that aren't too helpful for our soul. But Jesus comes into the world and he's like, he believes in you. So he's like, he believes that you can change. He believes that you can be transformed from glory to glory to become more like him, to walk into wholeness and healing and flourishing. Isn't he amazing? I was on the phone this week with a person up in Auckland who had just the most insanely broken life. And she said, um, it's incredible God can completely change your life if you let him in completely. And I was like, that's a great line. God can completely change your life if you let him completely into, into your heart. And so this is what the Titus is talking about. And so then you've got to encourage, got our jobs to encourage and to cheer that on. But then it, it, as leaders in the church, but in Hebrews 3 verse 13, this, com, this kind of um, this invitation to exhortation to encourage one another is actually said to all believers encourage one another, exhort one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened, this is a great line, by sin's deceitfulness, right? How good is that line? The Bible's full of real good zingers, eh? I'm like, sin's deceitfulness, I've thought about that one a lot. Here's what sin's deceitfulness is, oh, it doesn't, it won't affect you too much if you do that. 
Because sometimes, it, like, sin works. It works. We, we don't do naughty things because, it, and we know it's munting us up. We do it because it works in the short term, but just has these consequences in the long term. And so sin is deceitful. So then what does the Bible say? Like, encourage, exhort one another to do the right thing daily. Like, just encourage it. No, you choose to pack that way as it is today. Uh, so that none may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Here's my thing. It's like, be a good friend to your mates, your Christian mates. Exhort them, encourage them, cheer them on to do the right thing. Um, Because uh, Paul is getting to this point now in the letter to the Philippians of like, now it's time to exhort, to encourage, for them to live out the way of Jesus. And here's the thing. You can say challenging things to folks if there's friendship. You can, if there's mutual vulnerability, uh, you can challenge people to, to, to step up, to, to do the right thing. It's, it's not very nice when that comes from a place where there's no friendship. So as Paul writes to the church in Philippi, he's already expressed how much he loves this church. He rejoices in them. He carries them in his heart. And because of that, he has... He, he can say things to them that are like going to call them into a, a more flourishing life. Paul is going to start challenging them. But he's going to challenge them in the most beautiful way. And we're going to see this unpacked over the coming weeks. He's already doing this. He's actually just wanting to point them to Jesus as, as the example. Look to Jesus. Imitate Jesus. Look to him. In Galatians 4 verse 19, Paul says, My dear children, for who I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Like Paul's absolute desire is that Christ is formed in, in the saints of the church. And that's every leader with the salt will have that on their heart. Like literally could groan in their heart that the congregation that they shepherd, that Christ would be formed in them. And that's my, the groan of my heart. It's the prayer every day for me in my prayer life. Lord, would you continue to form Christ in our little church, that we would reflect you. So Paul's beginning to, to, to change gears now. Let's work our way through some of these verses. Verse 27, whatever happens, again, you've got to just remember, when you see something like that, you've got to have the last couple of Sundays in mind. If you've got your Bibles, you need to do a quick skim of, of what he's been saying. Whatever happens, life or death, for me to live as Christ dies, game, but whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is when he's beginning to like challenge the church a little, right? Work, walk worthy of the gospel. Now, there's a whole lot going on in the Greek here that's a little bit tricky to translate. Depending on what your Bible is, again, if you've got a different translation, you may have, there's some translations that are quite radically different from this because there's a bit going on there. It's a very tricky verse to translate. And, and again, some of you, hopefully some of you guys are like, why, why is this Greek thing a big deal? And I'll tell you why. It's because for the, in the Greek language, there was, oh, no, Lord, help me remember the stats. Okay, something like, okay, this is not, bang on, but it's something like 6,000 words or whatever can make the vocabulary. So you've got words that have to do a whole lot of heavy lifting because in the English language, someone needs to Google this, and I think it's like 100,000 or something. I don't know, a lot of, many more words. So for the Greek, there's a whole lot of words that can mean a whole lot of things, which is beautiful in lots of ways because when you hear a certain word in a certain sentence, in Māori is very similar. Uh, we, there's a lot of things that are underneath that word, we got different, so it's a very rich and very beautiful, whereas we've got a whole lot of language that we can use in a different way. So that's why the translation thing's quite interesting. So, uh, so Gordon Fee translates that verse like this. Live in the Roman colony of Philippi as worthy citizens of our heavenly homeland. So in a sense, he's saying like, 
like there's a sense of identity. When you become a Christian, there's a new identity. You are citizens of heaven. So you've got a whole new culture to learn. Like what does it look like to be part, a citizen of the kingdom of God? As we reside in New Zealand or in Philippi or whatever, we have to learn to live a, a life that reflects the culture and values of the kingdom while living in Babylon, if that makes sense. So there's a whole lot going on here. What does it look like? But the million dollar question for me is what's in Paul's imagination when he says that we've got to live in a manner worthy of the gospel? Like, what is he thinking about? What are you thinking about? What do you think that means to live a life worthy of the gospel? Like, what does that sort of lifestyle look like? So that's the question that's good. To, thankfully, this is a rhetorical question here. I was like, oh no, we're going to have to shout things out. You don't. Okay, don't worry. Um, but Paul's written, unpacked this in a bit more detail in some of his other letters. So in Ephesians 4, he says this, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Exactly the same language. And then he goes to unpack it. Be completely humble and gentle, bearing, I love this line, bearing with one another in love. <laughs> He's writing to a church congregation. Friends, sometimes we've got to bear with one another in love. I'm choosing to bear this in love. I love it. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. One of my favorites, Colossians 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, what a line, holy and dearly loved. Again, get that in your bones, friends. That's who you are, holy and dearly loved. But then listen, clothe yourselves. So this isn't something that just this is a choice you make. I'm going to clothe myself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentle, gentleness, and patience. Again, here it is again. Bear with each other. <laughs> Bear with each other. And forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Above all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. What an amazing picture of a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But how convicting is that? Oh, man. Again, I say this every Sunday at the moment. You guys get to hear this on Sunday morning for a little moment. I've got to sit with that as I prep for days, as I reflect on my own life. My Lord, I'm so not humble and gentle. <laughs> I'm not patient. I'm slowly getting used to bearing with one another in love, but it's pretty grudgingly. <laughs> There's so much about that that is so stunning in our culture war environment that we live in. Like what does it look like to, to be those guys in our workplaces and our families and our homes online? You know, what does it look like to be people who are humble and gentle and patient and kind? I just, I, I'm just so challenged by that. But, but also Paul's saying this, like live a life worthy of the gospel. Like our lifestyle is, like we're actually challenged in this passage to have a lifestyle that is a gospel reflection. Like it's a gospel witness. Like, you know, that classic line, that most, of the, most of the folks in your world, the only gospel they're going to read is your life. It's like, oh, no, <laughs> we're in trouble. <laughs> Back to the table, more communion, double for me, please. I have a double portion this week, all that. Um, and so 
I'm like, I want to become, I want to be that though, right? And here's what's really important for us as followers of Jesus is that and there's this idea of the telos of our life, like the goal of our life. What's in our imagination around where we want to go in our lives? And these descriptors in Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, there's some in Thessalonians, Galatians 5, there's a whole lot of these in the epistles. I would just say that these are the things that I would invite you to make the telos of your life, the goal, the deep inner goal of your life, that, it, that you'd become like these people. And, like, and then you've got to start going, well, how can I do that? And there's, well, there's a well, good question. Well, you've got to work through the junk in your trunk because pain is either transformed or transmitted. And so, you know, I'm in some counselling at the moment because I want my pain to be transformed, not transmitted into my marriage or into my kid's life or into my leadership or blah, 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 blah. So there's a sense where you've got to work through the deep stuff with Jesus. You've got to hug the cactus, hallelujah, in that therapy room. Uh, you've got to respond. You've got to eat the pie, the, everyone's favourite pie, humble pie. Come up, have the prayer on Sundays because we are a proud culture. We've got to break that spirit so that we're humble people because we're kingdom people when we follow the humble king. And so by choosing to come to prayer uh, and respond and get prayer for things, that's just saying, I want to become more like him. But ultimately, you become who you hang out with. And, and when Paul writes all these things down, what's in his imagination is the character of Jesus. He's humble. He's patient. He's kind. And supremely, he's love. Isn't that beautiful? That's who he is. I need Jesus to be like that. I love that he's like that. I love that that's his nature. And so, have your devos, get your Bible out, spend time with Jesus, turn off your phone, try and sit with Jesus every day because you become who you hang out with. And, and when you hang out with Jesus, it may not happen overnight, but it will happen. You will become like Jesus when you hang out with Jesus. That's why we come to church. It's why we fight for our devos, all those things. That's the, 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 the only chance of me becoming anything like this is when I hang out with him. And I love that I hang out with him and he's like that. Because I, my broken heart needs Jesus like this. I need to meet him in that place and encounter his patience and his kindness and his compassion and his love for me. So beautiful. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, Jesus is talking to, uh, Paul's talking about the reputation of the church in Philippi. I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. There's a massive theme that you would have noticed in the, in the other passages I uh, read out before of unity uh, that would have one heart here. Um, that we would stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith in the gospel. Mature Christians will work for unity. Now we're, we're working, we're together for this. We will work. It's not just enough for not being known, like I'm not a troublemaker. Like that's good, that's a good start. I'm not causing division. Good start. But actually that we'd be known as people pursuing peace, and reconciliation, that we'd be known for unity. And so I just want to say like, I'm really grateful. I feel like we've got that here. I love that we've got a unified church um, and that would stay unified as we keep our eyes on Jesus filled with the one spirit together. Uh, and that's why we talk, that's why language is important for us. That's why we talk about uh, like what's our big dream is that we would be people who learn to be with Jesus and become like Jesus and do what Jesus did. There's very rarely a Sunday we don't talk about that. Our whole goal is that we would be those people 
people that learn to be with Jesus because I don't want that to stagnate ever in my life. I want to learn to be with Jesus more and more and more. I want more time, deeper devos. I want to be just consumed with Him more. I want to become more like Him, which is all that stuff we're talking about. And then I want to do what He did in this broken and hurting world. I want to, the grace that's on me, I want to use that to be a blessing and, and to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so the language is important and I want us to have a unified heart. Like we're passionate about Him. Prayer meetings and worship, all that sort of stuff, devos. You know, become like Him. All that stuff, that's a unified heart. Uh, as we, and, and we saw this with our building uh, offering. Like there's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing for people to give crazy money because there's a unified heart. God's up to something. We're part of something here. We want to we bless them. The main thing is Jesus. Paul's going to articulate the beauty of Jesus in such a profound way over the coming weeks. You're in for a treat for these next couple of weeks for sure. We're going to be swimming in those waters because ultimately we're unified around him. Hallelujah. We're unified because we love Jesus. He's the one. He's the one that we're pursuing. He's the one that we're after. So we have this unity, but without, and then Paul says, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. There is opposition, though, to this gospel. The church in Philippi was experiencing persecution. It was a very patriotic city that Paul was writing to, very patriotic. You know, it's like in the States these days, there's a you know, huge nationalism and patriotism. Same spirit, right? So there's this like massive thing where if you start challenging that, you're in trouble, you know, and so these guys are challenging it because they're saying, no, Caesar isn't Lord, Jesus is Lord. This is a very patriotic Roman city, and when you're saying Jesus is Lord, that's going to get you some opposition. Uh, and so they're living these countercultural lives, and, and there's most likely there have been people in the church in Philippi that have been imprisoned like Paul. N.T. Wright, in his commentary on this uh, verse, says this, from the first century Mediterranean world to the 21st century in China and Sudan and in many other places, there have been plenty of people determined to stamp out this Christian nonsense and to use every trick in the book to do so. And in the post-Christian West today, the, listen to this, the forces of skepticism and cynicism within our culture are extremely powerful, not least in newspapers and on television. It's easy for Christians to feel intimidated, but Paul insists that we mustn't. That's good. Because here's the reality. The opposition that we have to the gospel of Jesus Christ today looks different than what the overt persecution of the church in Philippi, but the principalities and powers behind it are exactly the same. Exactly the same. Uh, there is an evil behind an uh, opposition to the way of Jesus that we have to take seriously. And it, the reality is it takes courage to follow Jesus today in the secular West, in the post-Christian West. It takes courage. And so there is a sense where we have to learn to suffer together for the sake of the gospel. But Paul is saying there's no need to be frightened, however, because what do we need to do? We need to stop and consider who is with us. God is with us. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God, creator of the heavens and the earth, all-powerful, all-knowing, kind, compassionate, gracious God who loves the world so much that He gave us His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is God with us who's come to show us God's love and to save us from sin and to set up God's kingdom, to shut down religion so that we can share in the life of God. He is with us, holy, powerful, beautiful, anointed, amazing God, creator, omnipotent and all the omnis, you know, unreal. He's the one with us. And so Jesus' death and resurrection are the great victory that we can walk confidently in. The decisive battle has been won and He will return in glory, hallelujah, 
to, to finish the job. We can't wait. We live in this in-between time. But he is with us. And so uh, remembering that Paul has just talked about the reality that even death has lost its sting, that there's no need to fear. Because even if we, like say we get so persecuted that we wind up dying, then we get to be with Jesus. Everyone's a winner, like we said last week. There's just like, there's no need to be afraid because he's with us. He's with us. And so there's a sense, but I would say, like, we, we, we need to be a people, um, you know, those old delirious, you know, the old delirious song, not ashamed of the gospel, not ashamed of the one I love. You know, I remember that, 90s, awesome. Um, and it's like, I mean, those, those guys were writing songs at that time that just resonated with just, and, but I'm like, we've got to bring that spirit back. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the one I love. You know, like, do people know that you're Christian? Do they know in your workplace that you're a Christian? Just, I'm just saying, like, not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed. Oh, I got a haircut this week. <laughs> so it happens like, it's literally the third haircut my whole time at Bay Vineyard. Not only to get the clippers out, I actually got a haircut. Um, and so that was fun. And just, I remembered why I don't like it, but that's all right, because you've got to sit there and talk. Talk to someone you don't really know, which is just not fun. So anyway, introvert, hell, come on, introverts, who, who loves a haircut, right? Yeah, Jen does. <laughs> so my bank account loves them as well. Don't yeah, anyway, um, <laughs> um, but anyway, so I'm having this yarn with this guy, and like, so classic question, right? So what do you do? Uh, uh, I'm a pastor. He's like, what the? And I'm like. And he's like, oh, sorry. And again, we're getting flirting with the wind here, but it's sailing close to the wind. But it's like, you know, he's, and I'm like, no, it's all good, it's all good. <laughs> he's like, you don't look like a pastor. And I'm like, well, I'm about to because I'm about to get here. <laughs> and then that's why he gave me this probably. Oh, pastor, let's give him a real friggin' 1950s haircut. That'd be cool. Um, but there's always that intersection, right, where you're like, there is a moment here where I can just fudge along or I can just be up front of the fact I'm a pastor and that opens up a whole conversation that we can have around what it means to follow Jesus, what our church is like, blah, 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 blah. But, and this is the thing where it's like, no, I'm not going to be frightened in that moment because God's present, he's at work, he's doing stuff. And every single time we're obedient to those little moments, it's like, honestly, friends, it's not like you feel, sometimes you maybe feel God's presence and anointing on your life as you share some stuff. Most of the time it's like, ugh, bleh. Yeah, I'm a Christian, and yeah, no, it's been amazing, changed my life, you know. But somehow God takes that and plants seeds in people's hearts, and lives get changed. And certainly, if we're not one of those Christians that just pretend that we're more than we're not, you know. I mean, the first thing you've got to say if you're anything like me is, like, I'm a bit of a mess to be fair, mate. <laughs> You know, and, and Christians are a bit embarrassed about us for the most part, but and, and probably I contribute to the mess that we make as followers of Jesus, not representing him that well. But I'm doing my best, and he's changed me, and it's taken a while to go, and there's still some stuff to do. But, but I'm, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm not pretending I'm, I'm going to be upfront about my challenges, my humanity, but I'm grateful for God that loves me, has transformed me from glory to glory, the hope I've found, the healing I've found. I would not, I would just, my soul's in a place of flourishing because of him. And we can give a testimony to his goodness. And then there's this really intense little verse. Where you're like, what's going on here? This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved. This is, again, in people that are opposition to the gospel. So, again, what's, what's Paul thinking about when he says this? 
And there's a scholar, um, G.F. Hawthorne, who translates the Greek in this with a little bit different nuance, which again is more in line probably with what's happening there. He says, In no way letting your opponents intimidate you, for although your loyalty to the faith is proof to them that, that you will perish, it is in fact proof to you that you will be saved by God. I think what Paul's saying here is that you can oppose the gospel all you like, but God is on the throne. His victory on the cross and his resurrection mean that that battle has been won. And so we can pray and partner with God, and we just see the advancement of God's kingdom. It doesn't matter what the newspapers write, or it doesn't matter what culture says about Christians. God's kingdom continues to advance. Like Terry's testimony last week, his son gets saved because he's been praying for, 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 for decades, you know? And it's like, God, you can't stop God. He's at work. So you think, oh, no, that's going to be shame on you guys. Like, no, nah, shame on your undies, mate, because we're the ones who are living in the victory with God Almighty who reigns and rules forever. Hallelujah. Like, that is, that is I think, where Paul's like, you, you just can't, when you face the body of Christ, especially when it's unified in vision, filled with the Holy Spirit, then no power of hell can stop it. And God will destroy the evil that prevails one day. Hallelujah. The distortions, the lies, He will destroy the evil systems that break lives and salvation will come. Wholeness, shalom, beauty, fullness of life. And we are the people who are slowly experiencing that future reality in the here and now. That's what I think Paul's getting to. And then this is, this is very powerful. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to also suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now I hear that I still have. This is a, this is a line, friends, and we've got, to, we've got to let this sink in. Not only do we believe in him, but we get to suffer with him. The message version says this, I love it. There's far more to this life than trusting in Christ. There's also suffering for him. And the suffering is as much as a gift as the trusting. You're involved in the same kind of struggle you saw me go through on, on which you are now getting an updated report in this letter. Like it's not easy following Jesus, friends. And the reality is that sacrifice and suffering is the currency of the kingdom. The cross is the ultimate signpost of how God's kingdom breaks in. We make choices that are not easy so that God's kingdom would come. And as I've said many, many times, however, the story doesn't end on Friday with the cost and the suffering. It ends on Sunday with resurrection life bursting into the world. But this is not to minimize the suffering that takes place when we authentically follow Jesus. Beth Moore writes this, Conceiving of suffering as a gracious gift from God is understandably more than many of us can process. We know the reality of it is not nearly as romantic as some philosophize. Simply put, suffering hurts. But perhaps we can hear from a man by the name of Paul who'd personally known the rod, the rejection, the betrayal, and the persecution. If anyone knew to his nerve endings that suffering wasn't romantic, he did. He earned the right to be heard on the subject. Within his perspective, we begin to absorb how he handled the pain he endured. Had, oh, this is Beth Moore, I love it. Had Paul been writing these words in his swim trunks from his beach house in Maui while hovering over um, a charcuterie board, I don't even know what that is, <laughs> presumably something to do with food, we could tune him out. But the fact is, death could hardly have been less far-fetched in his circumstances as he sat in chains awaiting his trial and with too much time to reflect on his fate. Paul understands the persecution he experiences as a participation in Jesus' own suffering. This is how he can consider it a privilege. This is, this is very, very true, that there is a sense if you follow Jesus, you are choosing to participate and partner with Jesus in his sufferings. And for me, there's a, 
I'm in a season of reflection at the moment um, and some counselling all the rest of it because uh, I've begun to uh, reflect on the, the reality of the suffering that was involved for me in my 20s. Uh, and le- so I've been in full-time ministry for 20 years, but it was not easy to follow Jesus in my 20s as a Christian leader. It was lonely. I mean, when you're in a culture of compromise and you're holding true to your convictions, that's not easy. When, when all around you, people are doing whatever they want and you're going to bed lonely every night because you're choosing to follow the way of Jesus, that is not easy. It's not easy to carry a, a, a vision for the kingdom in a world that's, that's highly secular. It's not easy to live out those convictions. Uh, and so Jesus, I, I've been reflecting a lot on this, and I'm like, that Jesus experienced this. I find it so comforting. Jesus experienced the loneliness of leadership. Jesus lived out his convictions in a world of compromise. Jesus had his heart put through the blender because he loved Israel so much. He looked over it and he wept over it. His heart was deeply engaged. He was faithful to Jesus while many walked away. Some of you guys know, you know that, right? All of us have friends that have walked away from Jesus, and yet you're still here. But that's not easy, is it? I mean, it would be easier just to walk away, just to go with the crowd. But you have chosen to keep following the way of Jesus. You know, I'm just in awe um, of, of people that have come to faith and they've left a life behind. Because there's a whole social infrastructure that people have to leave behind sometimes. There's suffering for, for Jesus, for choosing the way of Jesus. Because you don't just believe in him. You've got to actually put your money where your heart is and just say, yes, I'm going to follow the way of Jesus. To, to follow the way of Jesus is to embrace some suffering. But it's to embrace some suffering that he himself experienced. So the privilege is we get to partner what Jesus himself experienced. That's a gift. And there's something I think about living the gospel uh, together and struggling together and overcoming together there is a unity that happens in our hearts where we say, no, we're committed to the way of Jesus and we're suffering together to choose his way. Our lifestyle looks different and that isn't easy. That, we feel that. It's okay to feel it, but he's worth it. He's so worth it. It's the way that leads to life. It's a narrow road, yes, but it leads to life. And there's something I think, as, and Paul's already talked about this, when Paul was imprisoned, what happened is that as he's imprisoned in Rome, the Roman church weren't discouraged that he was imprisoned. It galvanized them. There's something about seeing people suffer for what they believe in that stirs up faith in others. And this morning, in a sense, I want to do that for us. I want to be like, let's, let's take this seriously. This is not easy. Paul's up front about this, but let's keep our eyes on Jesus and together have a united heart that he is the prize worth pursuing. He's the treasure in the field with everything. He's the pearl of great price. He is, he is where the life is found. And so no, it doesn't matter what it costs, and it's going to cost you. And if it doesn't, then the invitation this morning is to, to step into not just believing in him and trusting in him, but to suffer for him, let your lifestyle change so that it lines up with the way of Jesus a whole lot more. That's going to cost you, but it's worth it. You come alive in that sort of space. Is this resonating with folks this morning? And so, conduct. Let's just come into land. Conduct yourselves worthy. Let's be people that that that, that let God shape our characters. But also, let's God, let God shape our ethics. Um, let's walk with integrity. Let's live a life worthy. 
with our sexual ethics, with our financial ethics, uh, with our time, with the, the value we placed on resting and being still, all those countercultural things. Let's live, let's, come on, guys, let's do it. Let's live a life that's, that, beat, that walks to the beat of a different drum. You know, just a total tangent, but one of the things I love about Jen is that she's got, I mean, her integrity when it comes to running her little Pilates business is off the chain. I do the books. And it's like every single bit of cash that comes in gets taxed. Every single cent. It's so, she's so meticulous. And I'm like, you don't, you know, again, it's like we've got to cheer, exhort one another on. You know, where it's like we don't put things on the business card that aren't business expenses, all those sort of things, right? We are people of integrity. Sexual ethics, time, money, all those things, guys. Let's exhort one another. Let's exhort one another to be people that live a life worthy of Jesus Christ calling on our lives to be sons and daughters. Let, him, let, it, let it seep deep into our bones. Is, again, is that easy? Let's pick up our cross. Not pick up our pillow, pick up our cross. Follow the way of Jesus, up Calvary, die to ourselves, live a radical different life because the story doesn't end on Friday. The story ends on Sunday with new life bursting into the world. So again, I'm, I'm exhorting you to, to, to do that this morning. And so th- there's a couple of things I, I, wanna, um, I want to uh, invite us to reflect on this morning and perhaps respond with. Firstly, if, um, as I'm speaking there is a sense that the Holy Spirit is gently convicting you. The grace of God teaches us how to live holy lives. If there's a sense of just gentle conviction, then that's God inviting you into a new lifestyle. And I don't care if you've been a Christian for 40 years or you've been a Christian for two minutes, we are are the people that continually come to the throne of grace. And we repent which means we do a 180. We turn away from what we were doing. But here's the thing. We've got to, Christians have to learn not just to be forgiven, but to be repentant people. Repentant people means that we get a plan in place for how our life is going to look different. Okay? So what are we going to put in place in our life so that we live differently? That's repentance. Very pragmatic. Repentance is very pragmatic. This is what I'm going to do. So this morning... uh, I just, I, as I've been preparing this, I've been repenting, okay? So on all these things, I'm not going to call you into anything. I'm not living myself, friends. I'm living this. I'm sitting under this. I've been sitting under this all week. Yay. And it's been good for me. It's so good to, to just humble myself before God and say, I need you to heal this. I need, I, I'm going to turn away from that and towards this. So perhaps there's a need for repentance. Secondly, uh, it is a battle to follow the way of Jesus, so we need to be empowered with his Holy Spirit. But I want us this morning, for those that are just feeling the fight, to let Jesus speak to you this morning. Don't be frightened. I am with you. You will overcome. Yes, it's tough, but I am with you. Some of you guys are going through the battle, and I want to invite you to encounter that. And lastly, um, as all of us, I think, need this, but afresh, especially out of that beautiful communion corridor, that we would just sink into the arms of grace afresh this morning and let his grace change us. Let's stand together and just invite God to minister.